Chapter Sixteen of Anne of Geierstein by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. For Somerset, off with his guilty head. Third part of Henry the Sixth. The governor of La Ferrette stood on the battlements of the eastern entrance tower of his fortress and looked out on the road to Bale, when first the vanguard of the Swiss mission, then the center and rear, appeared in the distance. At the same moment, the van halting, the main body closed with it, while the females and baggage and mules in the rear moved in their turn up to the main body, and the whole were united in one group. A messenger then stepped forth and winded one of those tremendous horns, the spoils of the wild bulls so numerous in the canton of Uri that they are supposed to have given rise to its name. They demand admittance, said the esquire. They shall have it, answered Sir Archibald de Hagenbach. Mary, how they may pass out again is another and a deeper question. Think yet a moment, noble sir, continued the esquire. Bethink you, these Switzers are very fiends in fight, and have, besides, no booty to repay the conquest. Some paltry chains of good copper, perchance, or adulterated silver. You have knocked out the marrow. Do not damage your teeth by trying to grind the bone. Thou art a fool, Killian, answered de Hagenbach, and it may be a coward besides. The approach of some score, or at most some score and a half, of Swiss partisans makes thee draw in thy horns like a snail at a child's finger. Mine are strong and inflexible as those of the Urus, of whom they talk so much and on which they blow so boldly. Keep in mind, thou timid creature, that if the Swiss deputies, as they presume to call themselves, are permitted to pass free, they carry to the Duke stories of merchants bound to his court, and fraught with precious commodities, specially addressed to his grace. Charles has them at once to endure the presence of the ambassadors whom he contemns and hates and learns by them that the governor of la ferrette permitting such to pass has nevertheless presumed to stop those whom he would full gladly see for what prince would not blithely welcome such a casket as that which we have taken from yonder strolling English peddler. I see not how the assault on these ambassadors will mend your excellency's plea for despoiling the Englishman, said Killian. Because thou art a blind mole, Killian, answered his chief, if Burgundy hears of a ruffle between my garrison and the mountain churls, whom he scorns and yet hates, it will drown all notice of the two peddlers who have perished in the fray. If after inquiry should come 
an hour's ride transports me with my confidants into the imperial dominions where though the emperor be a spiritless fool the rich prize i have found on these islanders will ensure me a good reception i will stick by your excellency to the last returned the esquire and you shall yourself witness that if a fool i am at least no coward i never thought thee such when it came to hand blows said de hagenbach but in policy thou art timid and irresolute hand me mine armor killian and beware thou brace it well the swiss pikes and swords are no wasp stings may your excellency wear it with honor and profit said killian and according to the duty of his office he buckled upon his principal the complete panoply of a knight of the empire your purpose of assaulting the swiss then holds firm said killian but what pretext will your excellency assign let me alone said archibald de hagenbach to take one or to make one do you only have schoenfeld and the soldiers on their stations and remember the words are burgundy to the rescue when these words are first spoken let the soldiers show themselves when repeated let them fall on and now that i am accoutred away to the churls and admit them killian bowed and withdrew the bugle of the switzers had repeatedly emitted its angry roar exasperated by the delay of nearly half an hour without an answer from the guarded gate of brissac and every blast declared by the prolonged echoes which it awakened the increased impatience of those who summoned the town at length the portcullis arose the gate opened the drawbridge fell and killian in the equipage of a man-at-arms arrayed for fight rode forth on an ambling palfrey what bold men are ye sirs who are here in arms before the fortress of brissac appertaining in right and signori to the thrice noble duke of burgundy and lorraine and garrisoned for his cause and interest by the excellent sir archibald lord of hagenbach knight of the most holy roman empire so please you sir esquire said the landamman for such i conjecture you to be by the feather in your bonnet we are here with no hostile intentions though armed as you see to defend us in a perilous journey where we are something unsafe by day and cannot always repose by night in places of security but our arms have no offensive purpose if they had such our numbers had not been so few as you see them what then is your character and purpose said killian who had learned to use in his master's absence the lordly and insolent tone of the governor himself we are delegates answered the landamman in a calm and even tone of voice without appearing to take offence at or to observe 
the insolent demeanor of the esquire from the free and confederated cantons of the swiss states and provinces and from the good town of Soleur, who are accredited from our diet of legislature to travel to the presence of his grace the duke of burgundy on an errand of high importance to both countries and with the hope of establishing with your master's lord i mean with the noble duke of burgundy a sure and steadfast peace upon such terms as shall be to the mutual honor and advantage of both countries and to avert disputes and the effusion of christian blood which may otherwise be shed for want of timely and good understanding show me your letters of credence said the esquire under your forgiveness sir esquire replied the landamman it will be time enough to exhibit these when we are admitted to the presence of your master the governor this is as much as to say wilful will to it it is well my masters and yet you may take this advice from killian of kersberg it is sometimes better to reel backwards than to run forwards my master and my master's master are more ticklish persons than the dealers of bale to whom you sell your cheeses home honest man home your way lies before you and you are fairly warned we thank thee for thy counsel said the landamman interrupting the banneret of burn who had commenced an angry reply supposing it kindly meant if not an uncivil jest is like an overcharged gun which recoils on the cannoneer our road lies onward through brissac and onward we propose to go and take such hap as that which we may find before us go onward then in the devil's name said the squire who had entertained some hope of deterring them from pursuing their journey but found himself effectually foiled the switzers entered the town and stopped by the barricade of cars which the governor had formed across the street at about twenty yards from the gate they drew themselves up in military order with their little body formed into three lines the two females and the fathers of the deputation being in the centre the little phalanx presented a double front one to each side of the street while the centre line faced so as to move forward and only waited for the removal of the barricade in order to do so but while they stood thus inactive a knight in complete armor appeared from a side door of the great tower under the arch of which they had entered into the town his visor was raised and he walked along the front of the little line formed by the swiss with a stern and frowning aspect who are you he said who have thus far intruded yourselves in arms into a burgundian garrison with your excellency's leave said the landamman we are men who come on a peaceful errand though we carry arms for our own defence 
deputies we are from the towns of Bern and Solur, the cantons of Uri, Switz, and Unterwalden, come to adjust matters of importance with the gracious Duke of Burgundy and Lorraine. What towns, what cantons, said the governor of La Ferrette, I have heard no such names among the free cities of Germany. Bern, truly, when became Bern a free state? Since the twenty-first day of June, said Arnold Biederman, in the year of grace, one thousand three hundred and thirty-nine, on which day the battle of Lapin was fought. Away, vain old man, said the knight, thinkest thou that such idle boasts can avail thee here? We have heard, indeed, of some insurgent villages and communities among the Alps, and how they rebelled against the emperor, and by the advantage of fastnesses, ambuscades, and lurking places, how they have murdered some knights and gentlemen sent against them by the Duke of Austria. But we little thought that such paltry townships and insignificant bands of mutineers had the insolence to term themselves free states, and propose to enter into negotiation as such with a mighty prince like Charles of Burgundy. May it please your excellency, replied the landman, with perfect temper, your own laws of chivalry declare that if the stronger wrong the weaker, or the noble does injury to the less gentle, the very act levels distinctions between them, and the doer of an injury becomes bound to give condign satisfaction of such kind as the wrong party shall demand. Hence to thy hills, churl, exclaimed the haughty knight, there comb thy beard and roast thy chestnuts. What, because a few rats and mice find retreat among the walls and wainscoting of our dwelling-houses, shall we therefore allow them to intrude their disgusting presence and their airs of freedom and independence into our personal presence? No, we will rather crush them beneath the heel of our iron-shod boots. We are not men to be trodden on, said Arnold Biederman calmly. Those who have attempted it have found us stumbling blocks. Lay, Sir Knight, lay aside for an instant this haughty language, which can only lead to warfare, and listen to the words of peace. Dismiss our comrade, the English merchant Philipson, on whom you have this morning laid unlawful hands. Let him pay a moderate sum for his ransom, and we, who are bound instantly to the Duke's presence, will bear a fair report to him of his governor of La Ferrette. You will be so generous, will you? said Sir Archibald, in a tone of ridicule. And what pledge shall I have that you will favor me so kindly as you propose? The word of a man who never broke his promise, answered the stoical Landeman. Insolent hind, replied the knight, dost thou stipulate? Thou offer thy paltry word as a pledge betwixt the Duke of Burgundy and Archibald the Hagenbach, 
know that ye go not to Burgundy at all, or you go thither with fetters on your hands and halters round your necks. So ho, Burgundy, to the rescue. Instantly, as he spoke, the soldiers showed themselves before, behind, and around the narrow space where the Swiss had drawn themselves up. The battlements of the town were lined with men. Others presented themselves at the doors of each house in the street, prepared to sally, and at the windows, prepared to shoot, as well with guns as with bows and crossbows. The soldiers who defended the barricade also started up and seemed ready to dispute the passage in front. The little band encompassed and overmatched, but neither startled nor disheartened, stood to their arms. The center rank, under the landamen, prepared to force their way over the barricade. The two fronts stood back to back, ready to dispute the street with those that should issue from the houses. It could not fail to prove a work of no small blood and toil to subdue this handful of determined men, even with five times their number. Some sense of this, perhaps, made Sir Archibald delay giving the signal for onset, when suddenly behind arose a cry of treason, treason. A soldier, covered with mud, rushed before the governor and said in hurried accents that as he endeavored to stop a prisoner who had made his escape some short time since, he had been seized by the burghers of the town and well nigh drowned in the moat. He added that the citizens were even now admitting the enemy into the place. Killian, said the knight, take two score of men, hasten to the northern sally port, stab, cut down, or throw from the battlements whomsoever you meet in arms, townsmen or strangers. Leave me to settle with these peasants by fair means or foul. But ere Killian could obey his master's commands, a shout arose in the rear, where they cried, Bail! Bail! Freedom! Freedom! The day is our own. Onward came the youth of Bale, who had not been at such a distance, but that Rudolph had contrived to recall them. Onward came many Swiss, who had hovered around the embassy, holding themselves in readiness for such a piece of service. And onward came the armed citizens of La Ferrette, who compelled to take arms and mount guard by the tyranny of de Hottenbach had availed themselves of the opportunity to admit the baileys at the sally-port through which Philipson had lately made his escape. The garrison, somewhat discouraged before by the firm aspect of the Swiss, who had held their numbers at defiance, were totally disconcerted by this new and unexpected insurrection. Most of them prepared rather to fly than to fight, and they threw themselves in numbers from the walls as the best chance of escaping. Killian and some others, whom pride prevented from flying and despair from asking quarter, fought with fury and were killed on the spot. In the midst of this confusion, 
the landman kept his own bands unmoved permitting them to take no share in the action save to repel such violence as was offered to them stand fast all sounded the deep voice of arnold biederman along their little body where is rudolph save lives but take none why how now arthur Philipson? stand fast i say i cannot stand fast said arthur who was in the act of leaving the ranks i must seek my father in the dungeons they may be slaying him in this confusion while i stand idle here by our lady of ensidlin you say well answered the landamman that i should have forgot my noble guest i will help thee to search for him arthur the affray seems well-nigh ended ho there sir banneret worthy adam zimmerman my good friend nicholas bonstetten keep our men standing firm have nothing to do with this affray but leave the men of vale to answer their own deeds i return in a few minutes so saying he hurried after arthur philipson whose recollection conducted him with sufficient accuracy to the head of the dungeon stairs there they met an ill-looking man clad in a buff jerkin who bore at his girdle a bunch of rusted keys which intimated the nature of his calling show me the prison of the english merchant said arthur philipson or thou diest by my hand which of them desire you to see answered the official the old man or the young one the old said young philipson his son has escaped thee enter here then gentlemen said the jailer undoing the spring-bolt of a heavy door at the upper end of the apartment lay the man they came to seek for who was instantly raised from the ground and loaded with their embraces my dear father my worthy guest said his son and friend at the same moment how fares it with you well answered the elder philipson if you my friend and son come as i judge from your arms and countenance as conquerors and at liberty ill if you come to share my prison-house have no fear of that said the landamman we have been in danger but are remarkably delivered your evil lair has benumbed you lean on me my noble guest and let me assist you to better quarters here he was interrupted by a heavy clash as it seemed of iron and differing from the distant roar of the popular tumult which they still heard from the open street as men hear the deep voice of a remote and tempestuous ocean by saint peter of the fetters said arthur who instantly discovered the cause of the sound the jailer has cast the door to the staple or it has escaped his grasp the spring-lock has closed upon us and we cannot be liberated saving from the outside ho jailer dog villain open the door or thou diest he is probably out of hearing of your threats said the elder philipson and your cries avail you nothing but are you sure the swiss are in possession of the town we are peaceful occupants of it 
answered the landamman, though without a blow given on our side. Why, then, said the Englishman, your followers will soon find you out. Arthur and I are paltry ciphers, and our absence might easily pass over unobserved, but you are too important a figure not to be missed and looked after when the sum of your number is taken. I well hope it will prove so, said the landamman, though methinks I show but scurvily shut up here like a cat in a cupboard when he has been stealing cream. Arthur, my brave boy, dost thou see no means of shooting back the bolt? Arthur, who had been minutely examining the lock, replied in the negative, and added that they must take patience perforce and arm themselves to wait calmly their deliverance, which they could do nothing to accelerate. Arnold Biederman, however, felt somewhat severely the neglect of his sons and companions. All my youths, uncertain whether I am alive or dead, are taking the opportunity of my absence, doubtless for pillage and license, and the politic Rudolph, I presume, cares not if I should never reappear on the stage. The banneret and the white-bearded fool Bonstetten, who calls me his friend, every neighbor has deserted me, and yet they know that I am anxious for the safety of the most insignificant of them all, as dearer to me than my own. By heavens, it looks like stratagem, and shows as if the rash young men desired to get rid of a rule too regular and peaceful to be pleasing to those who are eager for war and conquest. The landamman fretted out of his usual serenity of temper, and afraid of the misbehavior of his countrymen in his absence, thus reflected upon his friends and companions, while the distant noise soon died away into the most absolute and total silence. What is to do now? said Arthur Philipson. I trust they will take the opportunity of quiet to go through the roll call and inquire then who are amissing. It seemed as if the young man's wish had some efficacy, for he had scarce uttered it before the lock was turned and the door set ajar by someone who escaped upstairs from behind it before those who were set at liberty could obtain a glance of their deliverer. It is the jailer, doubtless, said the landamman, who may be apprehensive, as he has some reason, that we might prove more incensed at our detention in the dungeon than grateful for our deliverance. As they spoke thus, they ascended the narrow stairs and issued from the door of the gatehouse tower, where a singular spectacle awaited them. The Swiss deputies and their escort still remained standing fast and firm on the very spot where Hagenbach had proposed to assail them. A few of the late governor's soldiers, disarmed and cowering from the rage of a multitude of the citizens who now filled the streets, stood with downcast looks behind the phalanx of the mountaineers as their safest place of retreat. But this was not all. 
the cars so lately placed to obstruct the passage of the street were now joined together and served to support a platform or scaffold which had been hastily constructed of planks on this was placed a chair in which sat a tall man with his head neck and shoulders bare the rest of his body clothed in bright armor his countenance was as pale as death yet young philipson recognized the hard-hearted governor sir archibald hoggenbach he appeared to be bound to the chair on his right and close beside him stood the priest of st paul's muttering prayers with his breviary in his hand while on his left and somewhat behind the captive appeared a tall man attired in red and leaning with both hands on the naked sword which has been described on a former occasion the instant that arnold biederman appeared and before the landamman could open his lips to demand the meaning of what he saw the priest drew back the executioner stepped forward the sword was brandished the blow was struck and the victim's head rolled on the scaffold a general acclamation and clapping of hands like that by which a crowded theatre approves of some well-graced performer followed this feat of dexterity while the headless corpse shot streams from the arteries which were drunk up by the sawdust that strewed the scaffold the executioner gracefully presented himself alternately at the four corners of the stage modestly bowing as the multitude greeted him with cheers of approbation nobles knights gentlemen of free-born blood and good citizens he said who have assisted at this act of high justice i pray you to bear me witness that this judgment hath been executed after the form of the sentence at one blow and without stroke missed or repeated the acclamations were reiterated long live our scharfgerichter steinernhertz and many a tyrant may he do his duty on noble friends said the executioner with the deepest obeisance i have yet another word to say and it must be a proud one god be gracious to the soul of this good and noble knight sir archibald de hagenbach he was the patron of my youth and my guide to the path of honor eight steps have i made towards freedom and nobility on the heads of free-born knights and nobles who have fallen by his authority and command and the ninth by which i have attained it is upon his own in grateful memory of which i will expend this purse of gold which but an hour since he bestowed on me in masses for his soul gentlemen noble friends and now my equals la ferrette has lost a nobleman and gained one our lady be gracious to the departed knight sir archibald de hagenbach and bless and prosper the progress of stephen steinernhertz von blutzacker now free and noble of right with that he took the feather out of the cap of the deceased which soiled with the blood of the wearer 
lay near his body upon the scaffold, and putting it into his own official bonnet, received the homage of the crowd in loud huzzas, which were partly in earnest, partly in ridicule of such an unusual transformation. Arnold Biederman at length found breath, which the extremity of surprise had at first denied him. Indeed, the whole execution had passed much too rapidly for the possibility of his interference. Who has dared to act this tragedy, he said indignantly, and by what right has it taken place? A cavalier richly dressed in blue replied to the question, The free citizens of Vale have acted for themselves as the fathers of Swiss liberty set them an example, and the tyrant de Hagenbach has fallen by the same right which put to death the tyrant Geisler. We bore with him till his cup was brimming over, and then we bore no longer. I say not but that he deserved death, replied the landamman, but for your own sake and for ours you should have forborne him till the duke's pleasure was known. What tell you us of the duke? answered Lawrence Nipperg, the same blue cavalier whom Arthur had seen at the secret rendezvous of the Bailey's youth in company with Rudolph. Why talk you of Burgundy to us, who are none of his subjects? The emperor, our only rightful lord, had no title to pawn the town and fortifications of La Ferrette, being, as it is, a dependency of Bale, to the prejudice of our free city. He might have pledged the revenue, indeed, and supposing him to have done so, the debt has been paid twice over by the exactions levied by yonder oppressor, who has now received his due. But pass on, Landeman of Unterwalden. If our actions displease you, abjure them at the footstool of the Duke of Burgundy. But in doing so, abjure the memory of William Tell and Stoffacre, of First and Melchthal, the fathers of Swiss freedom. You speak truth, said the Landeman, but it is in an ill-chosen and unhappy time. Patience would have remedied your evils, which none felt more deeply, or would have redressed more willingly than I. But, oh, imprudent young man, you have thrown aside the modesty of your age, and the subjection you owe to your elders. William Tell and his brethren were men of years and judgment, husbands and fathers, having a right to be heard in council and to be foremost in action. Enough, I leave it with the fathers and senators of your own city to acknowledge or to reprove your actions. But you, my friends, you, Banneret of Bern, you, Rudolph, above all, you, Nicholas Bonstetten, my comrade and my friend, why did you not take this miserable man under your protection? The action would have shown Burgundy that we were slandered by those who have declared us desirous of seeking a quarrel with him or of inciting his subjects to revolt. Now all these prejudices will be confirmed in the minds of men, naturally more tenacious 
of evil impressions than of those which are favorable. As I live by bread, good gossip, and neighbor, answered Nicholas Bonstetten, I thought to obey your injunctions to a tittle, so much so that I once thought of breaking in and protecting the man when Rudolf Donnerhugel reminded me that your last orders were to stand firm and let the men of Baal answer for their own actions. And surely, said I to myself, my gossip Arnold knows better than all of us what is fitting to be done. Ah, Rudolf, Rudolf, said the landamman, looking on him with a displeased countenance, wert thou not ashamed thus to deceive an old man? To say I deceived him is a hard charge. But from you, Landaman, answered the Bernese with his usual deference, I can bear anything. I will only say that, being a member of this embassy, I am obliged to think and to give my opinion as such, especially when he is not present who is wise enough to lead and direct us all. Thy words are always fair, Rudolph, replied Arnold Biederman, and I trust so is thy meaning. Yet there are times when I somewhat doubt it. But let disputes pass, and let me have your advice, my friends, and for that purpose go we where it may best profit us, even to the church, where we will first return our thanks for our deliverance from assassination and then hold counsel what next is to be done. The landamman led the way, accordingly, to the church of St. Paul's, while his companions and associates followed in their order. This gave Rudolph, who as youngest suffered the others to precede him, an opportunity to beckon to him the landamman's eldest son, Rudiger, and whisper to him to get rid of the two English merchants. Away with them, my dear Rudiger, by fair means, if possible, but away with them directly. Thy father is besotted with these two English peddlers, and will listen to no other counsel, and thou and I know, dearest Rudiger, that such men as these are unfit to give laws to free-born Switzers. Get the trumpery they have been robbed of, or as much of it as is extant, together as fast as thou canst, and send them a-traveling, in heaven's name. Rudiger nodded intelligently, and went to offer his services to expedite the departure of the elder Philipson. He found the sagacious merchant as desirous to escape from the scene of confusion now presented in the town as the young Swiss could be to urge his departure. He only waited to recover the casket of which de Hagenbach had possessed himself, and Rudiger Biedermann set on foot a strict search after it, which was the more likely to be successful than the simplicity of the Swiss prevented them from setting the true value upon its contents. A strict and hasty search was immediately instituted both on the person of the dead de Hagenbach, on which the precious packet was not to be found, and on all who had approached him at his execution, 
or were supposed to enjoy his confidence. Young Arthur Philipson would gladly have availed himself of a few moments to bid farewell to Anne of Geierstein, but the grey wimple was no longer seen in the ranks of the Switzers, and it was reasonable to think that, in the confusion which followed the execution of de Hagenbach and the retreat of the leaders of the little battalion, she had made her escape into some of the adjacent houses, while the soldiers around her, no longer restrained by the presence of their chiefs, had dispersed, some to search for the goods of which the Englishmen had been despoiled, others doubtless to mingle with and join in the rejoicings of the victorious youths of Bale, and of those burghers of La Forette, by whom the fortifications of the town had been so gently surrendered. The cry amongst them was universal, that Brissac, so long considered as the curb of the Swiss confederates and the barrier against their commerce, should henceforth be garrisoned as their protection against the encroachments and exactions of the Duke of Burgundy and his officers. The whole town was in a wild but joyful jubilee, while the citizens vied with each other in offering to the Swiss every species of refreshment, and the youths who attended upon the mission hurried gaily and in triumph to profit by the circumstances which had so unexpectedly converted the ambuscade so treacherously laid for them into a genial and joyous reception. Amid this scene of confusion, it was impossible for Arthur to quit his father, even to satisfy the feelings which induced him to wish for a few moments at his own disposal. Sad, thoughtful, and sorrowful, amid the general joy, he remained with the parent whom he had so much reason to love and honor, to assist him in securing and placing on their mule the various packages and bales which the honest Switzers had recovered after the death of de Hagenbach, and which they emulated each other in bringing to their rightful owner. While they were with difficulty prevailed upon to accept the guerdon which the Englishman, from the means which he still had left upon his person, was disposed not merely to offer, but to force upon the restorers of his property, and which, in their rude and simple ideas seemed greatly to exceed the value of what they had recovered for him. This scene had scarcely lasted ten or fifteen minutes when Rudolf Donnerhugel approached the elder Philipson and in a tone of great courtesy invited him to join the council of the chiefs of the embassy of the Swiss cantons, who, he said, were desirous of having the advantage of his experience upon some important questions respecting their conduct on these unexpected occurrences. See to our affairs, Arthur, and stir not from the spot on which I leave you, said Philipson to his son. Look especially after the sealed packet of which I was so infamously and illegally robbed. Its recovery is of the utmost consequence. So speaking, he instantly prepared himself 
to attend the Bernese, who in a confidential manner whispered, as he went arm in arm with him, towards the church of St. Paul's, I think a man of your wisdom will scarce advise us to trust ourselves to the mood of the Duke of Burgundy, when he has received such an injury as the loss of this fortress and the execution of his officer. You, at least, would be too judicious to afford us any further the advantage of your company and society, since to do so would be willfully to engage in our shipwreck. I will give my best advice, answered Philipson, when I shall be more particularly acquainted with the circumstances under which it is asked of me. Rudolph muttered an oath or angry exclamation and led Philipson to the church without further argument. In a small chapel adjoining to the church and dedicated to St. Magnus the Martyr, the four deputies were assembled in close conclave around the shrine in which the sainted hero stood, armed as when he lived. The priest of St. Paul's was also present and seemed to interest himself deeply in the debate which was taking place. When Philipson entered, all were for a moment silent, until the landamman addressed him thus, Signor Philipson, we esteem you a man far traveled, well versed in the manners of foreign lands, and acquainted with the conditions of this Duke Charles of Burgundy. You are therefore fit to advise us in a matter of great weight. You know with what anxiety we go on this mission for peace with the Duke. You also know what has this day happened, which may probably be represented to Charles in the worst colors. Would you advise us, in such a case, to proceed to the Duke's presence, with the odium of this action attached to us, or should we do better to return home and prepare for war with Burgundy? How do your own opinions stand on the subject? said the cautious Englishman. We are divided, answered the banneret of Bern. I have borne the banner of Bern against her foes for thirty years. I am more willing to carry it against the lances of the knights of Hainault and Lorraine than to undergo the rude treatment which we must look to meet at the footstool of the duke. We put our heads in the lion's mouth if we go forward, said Zimmerman of Solur. My opinion is that we draw back. I would not advise retreat, said Rudolf Donnerhugel, were my life alone concerned, but the landamman of Unterwalden is the father of the United Cantons, and it would be parricide if I consented to put his life in peril. My advice is that we return, and that the Confederacy stand on their defense. My opinion is different, said Arnold Biederman nor will I forgive any man who, whether in sincere or feigned friendship, places my poor life in the scale with the advantage of the cantons. If we go forward, we risk our heads, be it so. But if we turn back, we involve our country in war with a power of the first magnitude in Europe. 
Worthy citizens, you are brave in fight. Show your fortitude as boldly now, and let us not hesitate to incur such personal danger as may attend ourselves, if by doing so we can gain a chance of peace for our country. I think and vote with my neighbor and gossip, Arnold Biederman, said the laconic deputy from Schwitz. You hear how we are divided in opinion, said the landman to Philipson. What is your opinion? I would first ask of you, said the Englishman, what has been your part in this storming of a town occupied by the duke's forces and putting to death his governor? So help me, heaven, said the landman, as I knew not of any purpose of storming the town until it unexpectedly took place. And for the execution of de Hagenbach, said the black priest, I swear to you, stranger, by my holy order, that it took place under the direction of a competent court, whose sentence Charles of Burgundy himself is bound to respect, and whose proceedings the deputies of the Swiss mission could neither have advanced nor retarded. If such be the case, and if you can really prove yourselves free of these proceedings, answered Philipson, which must needs be highly resented by the Duke of Burgundy, I would advise you by all means to proceed upon your journey with the certainty that you will obtain from that prince a just and impartial hearing, and it may be a favorable answer. I know Charles of Burgundy, I may even say that, our different ranks and walks of life considered, I know him well. He will be deeply incensed by the first tidings of what has here chanced, which he will no doubt interpret to your disfavor. But if, in the course of investigation, you are able to clear yourselves of these foul imputations, a sense of his own injustice may perhaps turn the balance in your favor, and in that case he will rush from the excess of censure into that of indulgence. But your cause must be firmly stated to the duke. By some tongue better acquainted with the language of courts than yours, and such a friendly interpreter might I have proved to you had I not been plundered of the valuable packet which I bore with me in order to present to the Duke and in testimony of my commission to him. A paltry fetch, whispered Donner Hugel to the banneret, that the traitor may obtain from us satisfaction for the goods of which he has been plundered. The landman himself was perhaps for a moment of the same opinion. Merchant, he said, we hold ourselves bound to make good to you, that is, if our substance can affect it, whatever loss you may have sustained, trusting to our protection. Aye, that we will, said the old man of Schwitz, should it cost us twenty zechins to make it good. To your guarantee of immunity, I can have no claim, said Philipson, seeing I parted company with you, before I sustained any loss, and I regret the loss not so much for its value, although that is greater than you may fancy, 
but chiefly because that the contents of the casket I bore being a token betwixt a person of considerable importance and the Duke of Burgundy, I shall not, I fear, now that I am deprived of them, receive from his grace that credence which I desire, both for my own sake and yours. Without them, and speaking only in the person of a private traveller, I may not take upon me, as I might have done, when using the names of the persons whose mandates I carried. This important packet, said the landamman, shall be most rigorously sought for, and carefully re-delivered to thee. For ourselves, not a Swiss of us, knows the value of its contents, so that if they are in the hands of any of our men, they will be returned, of course, as baubles, upon which they set no value. As he spoke, there was a knocking at the door of the chapel. Rudolph, who stood nearest to it, having held some communication with those without, observed with a smile, which he instantly repressed, lest it had given offence to Arnold Biederman, it is Sigismund, the good youth, shall I admit him to our council? To what purpose, poor simple lad, said his father, with a sorrowful smile? Yet let me undo the door, said Philipson, he is anxious to enter, and perhaps he brings news. I have observed, Landeman, that the young man, though with slowness of ideas and expression, is strong in his principles, and sometimes happy in his conceptions. He admitted Sigismund accordingly, while Arnold Biederman felt, on the one hand, the soothing compliment which Philipson had paid to a boy, certainly the dullest of his family, and on the other, feared some public display of his son's infirmity or lack of understanding. Sigismund, however, seemed all confidence, and he certainly had reason to be so since as the shortest mode of explanation he presented to philipson the necklace of diamonds with the casket in which it had been deposited this pretty thing is yours he said i understand so much from your son arthur who tells me you will be glad to have it again most cordially do i thank you said the merchant the necklace is certainly mine that is the packet of which it formed the contents, was under my charge, and it is at this moment of greater additional value to me than even its actual worth, since it serves as my pledge and token for the performance of an important mission. And how, my young friend, he continued, addressing Sigismund, have you been so fortunate as to recover what we have sought for hitherto in vain? Let me return my best acknowledgments, and do not think me over-curious if I ask how it reached you. For that matter, said Sigismund, the story is soon told. I had planted myself as near the scaffold as I could, having never beheld an execution before, and I observed the executioner, who I thought did his duty very cleverly, just in the moment that he spread a cloth over the body of de Hagenbach, snatch something from the dead man's bosom, and huddle it hastily into his own. 
So when the rumor arose that an article of value was amissing, I hurried in quest of the fellow. I found he had bespoke masses to the extent of a hundred crowns at the high altar of St. Paul's, and I traced him to the tavern of the village where some ill-looking men were joyously drinking to him as a free citizen and a nobleman. So I stepped in amongst them with my partisan and demanded of his lordship either to surrender to me what he had thus possessed himself of or to try the weight of the weapon I carried. His lordship, my lord hangman, hesitated and was about to make a brawl, but I was something peremptory, and so he judged it best to give me the parcel, which I trust you, Signor Philipson, will find safe and entire as it was taken from you. And, and I left them to conclude their festivities, and that is the whole of the story. Thou art a brave lad, said Philipson, and with a heart always right, the head can seldom be far wrong, but the church shall not lose its dues, and I take it on myself, ere I leave La Ferrette, to pay for the masses which the man had ordered for the sake of de Hagenbach's soul, snatched from the world so unexpectedly. Sigismund was about to reply, but Philipson, fearing he might bring out some foolery to diminish the sense which his father had so joyously entertained of his late conduct, immediately added, Hi, away, my good youth, and give to my son Arthur this precious casket. With simple exultation at receiving applause to which he was little accustomed, Sigismund took his leave and the council were once more left to their own privacy. There was a moment's silence, for the landamman could not overcome the feeling of exquisite pleasure at the sagacity which poor Sigismund, whose general conduct warranted no such expectations, had displayed on the present occasion. It was not, however, a feeling to which circumstances permitted him to give vent, and he reserved it for his own secret enjoyment as a solace to the anxiety which he had hitherto entertained concerning the limited intellect of this simple-minded young man. When he spoke, it was to Philipson with the usual candor and manliness of his character. Signor Philipson, he said, we will hold you bound by no offer which you made while these glittering matters were out of your possession, because a man may often think that if he were in such and such a situation, he would be able to achieve certain ends, which, that position being attained, he may find himself unable to accomplish. But I now ask you whether, having thus fortunately and unexpectedly regained possession of what you say will give you certain credence with the Duke of Burgundy, you conceive yourself entitled to mediate with him on our behalf, as you formerly proposed. All bent forward to hear the merchant's answer. Landaman, he replied, I never spoke the word in difficulty, which I was not ready to redeem when that difficulty was removed. You say, and I believe, 
that you had no concern with this storming of La Ferret. You say also that the life of de Hagenbach was taken by a judicature over which you had no control and exercised none. Let a protocol be drawn up, averring these circumstances, and as far as possible proving them, entrust it to me, under seal, if you will, and if such points be established, I will pledge my word as a, as a, as an honest man and a true-born Englishman, that the Duke of Burgundy will neither detain nor offer you any personal injury. I also hope to show to Charles strong and weighty reasons why a league of friendship betwixt Burgundy and the united cantons of Helvetia is, on his grace's part, a wise and generous measure. But it is possible I may fail in this last point, and if I do, I shall deeply grieve for it. In warranting your safe passage to the Duke's court, and your safe return from it to your own country, I think I cannot fail. If I do, my own life and that of my beloved and only child shall pay the ransom for my excess of confidence in the duke's justice and honor the other deputies stood silent and looked on the landamman but rudolph donnerhugel spoke are we then to trust our own lives and what is still dearer to us that of our honored associate arnold biederman on the simple word of a foreign traitor we all know the temper of the duke and how vindictively and relentlessly he has ever felt towards our country and its interests methinks this english merchant should express the nature of his interest at the court of burgundy more plainly if he expects us to place such implicit reliance in it that signor rudolph donnerhugel replied the merchant I find myself not at liberty to do. I pry not into your secrets, whether they belong to you as a body or as individuals. My own are sacred. If I consulted my own safety merely, I should act most wisely to part company with you here. But the object of your mission is peace, and your sudden return, after what has chanced at La Ferrette, will make war inevitable. I think I can assure you of a safe and free audience from the Duke, and I am willing, for the chance of securing the peace of Christendom, to encounter any personal peril which may attach to myself. Say no more, worthy Philipson, said the landamman. Thy good faith is undoubted on our part, and ill luck is his who cannot read it written on thy manly forehead. We go forward, then, prepared to risk our own safety at the hand of a despotic prince, rather than leave undischarged the mission which our country has entrusted us with. He is but half a brave man who will risk his life only in the field of battle. There are other dangers to front which is equally honorable and since the wheel of Switzerland demands that we should encounter them, not one of us will hesitate to take the risk. The other members of the mission 
bowed in assent, and the conclave broke up to prepare for their farther entrance into Burgundy. End of chapter 16